starting with verse 19. Very, very familiar scripture reading. Uh, if you have been in Sunday school, if you've been around uh, a, a church environment for any length of time, you've heard this uh, story. We're going to read part of it. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, starting with verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Skipping down to verse 28. The Bible says, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, language, which speak anything amidst the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. I want to speak uh, for just a short period of time tonight on this subject. Don't fear the fire. Don't fear the fire. And I'm going to ask you to quickly get on board with me and uh, let's let God have his way tonight. Would it be okay with you tonight if God did something in this service? It would be okay with me. And uh, tonight, if you need something from God, then uh, we pray that God would have his way. God bless you. Turn around, shake somebody's hand again. Greet them in the name of Jesus. Tell them it's fantastic to see you here tonight. When I was a kid, if my mother was here, she would confirm this testimony. When I was a kid, I had one thing that was my favorite thing to do. It was my one favorite thing to play with, and it was fire. That is a true story. I loved fire. In fact, I still love fire. You can't build a fire big enough or hot enough for me. If I can build one, I will feed stuff into it all day long just to watch it burn. I, uh, as, as part of my childhood uh, fascination with fire, I was caught uh, by my mother when I was about six or seven years old. She was, it's amazing how kids think. Now, all of us have been kids, and most all of us have been around kids or have had kids, and it's amazing how we think. Teenagers are still like this. They're dumb. I know I just got the whole look over here, but it's true. Kids think that mom and dad are stupid. And they think that mom and dad falls for all of their lies and falls for all of their stories and all of these things that they try to hide. Has anybody had a kid try to hide something from you? You know full and well what they're doing. Now, sometimes the parents don't respond or react to it, but you know what the kid's doing. But the kid thinks they're hiding. At about seven or eight years old, I found the best gift I could get, matches. 
And so I went to my bedroom. I went into my closet and I shut the door so I could strike all these matches. I'm hiding. Mom will never know. The smell will never go throughout the house. You'll never find out. I was dumb. So it became part of my task at my house. We lived way out in the rural part of Missouri. We didn't have garbage men, so to speak, so we burned our trash. That was my job every day. Gather up the trash in the house. When I would get home from school, I would go out and burn it. I hear old timers talk about when they got home from school, they had to go milk the cow and feed the goats and slop the hogs and pluck the chicken and whatever else. I had to go burn the trash. I love fire. And over my lifetime, I can't tell you how many things I've burned. Some things were good. Some things were bad. Some things shouldn't have been burned. I can tell you what a shotgun shell does in a fire. I can tell you what gasoline, a bucket of gasoline that hits a fire, I can tell you what it does. I've learned some things from experience. One thing that I've learned is fire is powerful. Fire is a very powerful force. We have a number of people in here uh, tonight that work at Exxon. Back years ago, in 1980, uh, 1988 or 89, I believe, uh, back on the other side of the underpass in the Exxon refinery, just to the left-hand side, there was a propane pipeline that was uh, leaking, and, and a man drove through it and set it on fire and started one of the worst fires uh, in the Baton Rouge refinery, and several people were killed. And a good friend of mine was on the fire brigade that day, Mike Menino. He has now run for senator uh, in this area. But uh, Mike told me, he said, one of the crazy things was as everybody was running this way, I was driving that way. And him and one other guy got to that fire that night or that morning, and he said, Merrill, he said, I promise you I witnessed uh, Schedule 80. Uh, pipe, 48-inch Schedule 80 pipe melting like candle wax. He said, I watched it myself. He said, I knew right then we could not handle this fire. Fire is a very, very powerful force, and there's not a lot of things that can stand up against fire. And another thing I learned about fire is fire has a very permanent effect on something. Very few things are ever burned by fire and remain the same. If you'll remember, just a few years ago, there was a, a big uh, construction project on the Interstate 10 on-ramp at Port Allen because a, a tanker load of gasoline flipped over and caught on fire, and, and the concrete structure of that bridge was so damaged by the heat of that fire, they had to replace it. Fire leaves a permanent mark on what it burns. And so we pick up the story of the three Hebrew boys. We all know this, and I won't go into a lot of detail, but, but the three Hebrew boys were commanded to bow at an image when they heard the music and worshipped this image of the king. And, and they told the king, we're not going to do it. And the music played, and they did not bow. And, and so the king called them up there, and he said, I'm going to give you another chance. And, and so the music played again. They still didn't bow. And, and that's where we pick up. And the king got furious with them, and he decided that I'm going to have these men bound and thrown into this fire, and, and I'm going to burn them up. And so it's just not good enough to have the regular fire in the furnace. I want it hotter than it's ever been seven times. And so they heat it up, and, and it's so intense, and the, the fire is so intense. And, and so now we see these Hebrew boys standing there, and they've got a decision to make. 
It's decision time. Do I compromise what I believe? Do I give up on my convictions? Do I give up on what I've been taught? Do I give up on my beliefs? I'm standing here with this king. I can see this fire is raging, and I know it's fixing to engulf me and burn me to death. And there's nothing I can do to stop it unless I give up everything that I am. My integrity, my character, everything that I am, I'm fixing to give it up in order to save my life or do I hang on to the relationship I have with God and face a very uncertain future. If you put yourself in this position, their future wasn't bright. There wasn't a whole lot of glamour in the next 15 minutes. They didn't know what tomorrow would hold, even if there would even be a tomorrow. They had no idea of these things, and so they stood there and asked themselves, do we give up? Do we take the easy way out? Do we give up on our convictions and not commit any longer to God's uh, way? I mean, surely we would get a noble uh, mention here. We would get an honorary degree here that, you know what, they stood up to the king twice. Pretty good. Better than anybody else did. God's pretty special. I wouldn't hardly blame them. Looking at what they were facing, I wouldn't hardly blame them for wanting to give up. This past Sunday morning, during the message, there was a message in tongues given, and uh, there was no interpretation, and, and for those that were here, remember that. And, and then a person in our church came up and, and gave a testimony. And Brother Murphy made the comment that he believed that the testimony was the interpretation of those tongues. And the basis or the, the main part of that testimony was, was this fear that grips people to repent of this spirit of fear, to, to get past it, to, to move past fear. And, and, and tonight I'm speaking to just a few people here tonight. Um, probably everybody here won't get it, but I want you to understand. I want you everybody to listen just in case it's for you. But as grace begins to move, Brother Murphy has gotten up over the last several months. We've put out uh, vision statements. We've seen. He's talked about it. We've, we've started engaging these things. There are some that are looking at the future with uncertainty. It looks like something you don't know if you want to do. We stand kind of somewhere at the same place that the three Hebrew boys stood. Not whether we're going to compromise and, and understand where that illustration is going. But we're looking at tomorrow. That God, if I sell out, that God, if I commit, God, if I give everything I've got, if I give you my time, if I give you my effort, if I give you my, my money, if I give you my in, intelligence, my intellect, my ability, my talent, my skill, whatever it is. God, the future, just I don't know about it. I don't know where it's going to wind up. I don't know where I'm going to end. If I've engaged a Sunday school class, I don't know where it's going to end. And so there's some tonight that, 
that don't seem to be wanting to move a little bit and, and it's a spirit of fear that has gripped us, it's gotten a hold of us and we're scared of what tomorrow holds. We're scared of tomorrow. And so much like the Hebrew boys, we look at tomorrow or we look at our future and it's a little bit, it's a little bit scary. There's a fire there that doesn't seem uh, to be too welcoming as I imagine it would not be. But the three Hebrew boys did commit. They went ahead and sold out. They went ahead and gave in and said, God, no matter what, it may look a little bit fearful. Maybe I don't understand the future. Maybe I don't understand what's going to happen and, and how it's all going to end. Uh, there's been people that have said that we don't want our church to grow more than it is right now. There's some that don't know everybody here already. <laughs> I've had people tell me, I don't know half the people here. Somebody told me Sunday morning, they're not here, so I'll say it. Who is teaching your Sunday school class? I said, what's well, Brother Jason Cooper? Who's that? I know that sometimes things look a little bit scary, and, and when we tell you that we're going to send uh, food to Central Middle School, oh, I hope they don't call me, and we're going to take uh, do these things, and we've, t we've talked about these things. We just go ahead and commit. When it comes time to teach a Bible study, go ahead and teach the Bible study. When it comes time to be a part of care groups, go ahead and be a part of care groups. When it comes time to invite people, to witness to people, to talk to people, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and commit. Go ahead and let God use you. We usually, in this story of the Hebrew boys, we usually say that the fire, and I've heard this all of my life, is a test. Well, we're going through the fire. It's a test from God. No, it's not. I know that gold is tried by fire. I know that scripture. But in this case, the fire was not a test. What was the test? Somebody can figure it out. Come on. Would they bow? That's the test. They passed the test. Your future, the, the fear of your future, that's not the test. Will you commit to God? Will you do what God wants you to do? That's the test. The rest of it's the easy part. Well, I don't know, Brother Merrill. I'm telling you, it's okay. Well, the Hebrew boy saw the big fire. What about that? Guess what happened in the fire? You know in this story, the fire that the Hebrew boys faced was not a test. You know what it was? A type of what? The Holy Ghost. Y'all looking at me like, maybe, am I making sense? Does anybody understand that this is a type of the Holy Ghost? No. I don't know how that's going to be the Holy Ghost, Brother Mel. Well, let me tell you about it. What happened to the Hebrew boys when they were thrown in there? First of all, they were bound when they got thrown in there, but what happened? They were delivered in the fire. Ain't that amazing? They found what in the fire? Who else was there? God. The presence of God, the Spirit of God is in the fire. Uh, so they found God in the fire. They weren't hurt in the fire. 
The men that threw them in the fire were destroyed or killed. Their enemy was destroyed by the fire. The things that bound them were destroyed by the fire. Everything that held them captive was destroyed by the fire. They were blinded by the fire and they couldn't see out. The king could see in and see them with the fourth man. But nowhere does the scripture say that they looked out on the kingdom and felt compassion on those people or pity. They didn't look out and wasn't afraid of the king anymore. They're walking around in this fire talking to God. They've been delivered. They've been set free. They're not hurt. All of their worries are gone. All of the problems are gone. The king can't get them anymore. He's definitely not coming in there after him. So King Nebi, you can do whatever you want, Padna, because you're not coming in here where I'm at. My enemy has been destroyed, and so here I am in this, com- this completely enwrapped, completely uh, enveloped, intimate moment with God. In the, in the fire, God protects you. In the fire, God saves you. In the fire, God guides you. And in the fire, when people see you, when you're in that that intimate part of God, when you're with with God in that relationship of the the Holy Ghost, uh, that fire is consuming you. you. You're in the will of God. You're in the purpose of God. You're doing what God wants you to do. You've committed. You've sold out. You're not arguing. You're not complaining anymore. But God, I'm committing to your will. I'm committing to your purpose. I'm committing to the future that you have for me. When people see you, just like old Nebi, King Nebi saw the three Hebrew boys, but what else did he see? They saw God. We sing that song, oh, when people see me, I want want them to see God. Let me be a reflection of you, Jesus. And we say these things and we sing those songs, but when you're in that time, when you allow God to bring you to that place, and it only happens when you commit. It only happens when you stand up and say, God, you know what? Above and beyond anything else in my life, I'm going to serve you. God, I'm going to do the will of God. And so Nebi sees them, calls them out, come out of the fire. You don't stay in there long. It's not a long, drawn-out process. It's just a quick process. God changes you, everything you are. He delivers you. He sets you free. And Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. And guess what he does? He believes. I believe in that God you serve. I believe in that God you serve. And not only do I believe, but guess what, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because of what you did, because you were willing to sell out to God, because you were willing to give yourself over to God and do the will of God, not only did you win me, but I'm going to make a proclamation that the whole world will believe in those three Hebrew boys because of one act of commitment, because of one act of faith, they saved the entire world. What could we do as grace if we would sell out? What could we do if we would really commit? I know it's not popular. I know, <laughs> boy, if you could see, I, I, I know what Brother Murphy talks about. Sometimes if I could just get a picture of the way you're looking at me, it is hilarious. What could we do? In Acts 2, 1 through 4, 
Again, another very familiar scripture reading. The Bible says, in the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Where the Hebrew boys were cast into the fire to find God, to find deliverance. God now puts the fire in us. I do find it interesting on a side note here that they heard a rush sound of a rushing mighty wind. I built a fire one time that was big. It was big by my standards. It was a brush pile out in the middle of a pasture. It wasn't going to hurt a thing. Anybody know what lighter pine is? A few people know what lighter pine is. There was a man named Cullen Foster. He had lived on this piece of property. He was a dairy farmer literally all his life. And for over 75 years, every time Cullen Foster went anywhere, into the woods, to his neighbor's woods, Wherever he went, if he found the lighter pine stump, he would tear it out the ground, throw it in the back of his truck, and he'd bring it home. And he'd throw it in a pile in the middle of the pasture. After 75 years, that was a big pile. Mr. Cullen had died. I never had the opportunity to meet him. But his wife asked me one day, she said, Merrill, would you do me a favor? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, would you burn that pile of lighted stumps and get them out of the pasture? And I said, yes, ma'am. I don't know how tall that pile was. It got to the point where a grown man could not throw a piece of wood on top of it anymore. And it was probably about 35 or 40 feet in circumference. Didn't take long, and that was a blaze. I'd love to know if they have a satellite picture of that because I evermore had a fire that day. But I noticed as that fire began to really get going and all those stumps on the inside really caught fire and, and all of that stuff happened, it began to roar. Has anybody been around a fire big enough to roar? In fact, as I stood, get, would get as close as I could to it while it was just, just these massive flames, you could feel a breeze coming behind it, going towards this fire. And it dawned on me that that fire is consuming so much oxygen and it is sucking that hard that it actually begins to cause a roaring sound to feed the fire. It's amazing that in Acts chapter 2, the Bible describes the outpouring of the Holy Ghost as a mighty rushing wind. It's the Spirit of God just invading. It's the Spirit of God coming in just to, just to feed, to fuel a fire of the Holy Ghost that began to burn in humanity uh, uh, that night. So after, uh, so after this, this, this awesome moment, this fire of the Holy Ghost is put on people, and, and these, these disciples especially, I'll talk about them, uh, they get talked about a lot anyway. The disciples uh, receive 
uh, from Jesus, all of these commandments, and they spend all of this time with him, and, and they go through all of their these three and a half years of earthly ministry with Jesus, and they see all of this stuff, and, and they see all of this miracles and all of this uh, manifestation of God's power. They get tested. They get tested at the crucifixion, and, and Judas didn't make it. But the other and they still doubted, and they, they still disbelieved God, and they were still confused, and they lost hope. You remember the two disciples on the, the road to Emmaus. After all of that time, they still didn't understand what the future was. They still didn't have a grip on where God was wanting to take them. They still didn't see the vision of God saying, this is where I want you. They spent three and a half years with Jesus. They saw hundreds and thousands, perhaps, of miracles and didn't have a clue where Jesus wanted them to go. They ate bread with him. They saw him walk on the water. They saw him calm the storm. You see, they saw all of that stuff and didn't have a clue where Jesus wanted them to go. They were still confused. They still didn't believe him. The Bible does not record after the day of Pentecost. They were tested. They were tried. Jesus told some five, or the angel at the, amount, or the, at the ascension, some, the angel told some 500 people to go and wait in the upper room. 500. How many were there on the day of Pentecost? How many? 120. There's 380 people decided it's not worth it. What God has for me in the future, the direction God wants me to go, I'm confused. I don't understand it. Maybe that's how you feel about what I'm saying right now. I don't know where God wants me to go. And I'm, so, so, in order to deal with that, I'm just going to quit. I'll still go to church. I'll still see the miracles. I'll still see God do all of these great and wonderful things. But when it comes time for my commitment, I just don't know if I'm willing to do that right now because you see, I don't understand completely what the future is all about. But the Bible does not record one place where after the day of Pentecost, those disciples ever doubted again. There was no more doubt in Thomas after the day of Pentecost. There was no more two disciples on the road to Emmaus wondering where Jesus was after the day of Pentecost. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say tonight. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a destination and a track for grace. As a part of grace, he has the same plan and same destination for you. As an individual, there is a purpose that God has for you. Everybody point to you and say me. You are important, and God has a plan and a destination for you. And we, are, we cannot continue to allow fear. It looks bad. 
it may look bad, but what you're looking at is not necessarily a fire to destroy you. Acts 17 and 6, the Bible says, And these were they that turned their world upside down. Something happened to them that day. That cloven tongue like unto a fire. I would to God that he would still manifest himself that way. It's the only time it's ever been recorded. I've heard of people call the fire department, pull up at the church and say, we thought the building was on fire. I can't wait till that happens at Grace. Anybody want to catch on fire? Man, have the fire department out there, maybe win some of them too. They turned their world upside down because they were willing. They went through the trial and they were willing when they looked at their future to see not something that was scary and not something that was uncertain, but they saw the power of God. It's there. It's in that uncertainty. It's in that place where you're not sure that you lean the most to God and that's where God can do the most for you and that's where God can deliver you and that's where God can heal you and that's where God can bless you. We've laid out plans for revival and growth. God has laid out a challenge for us. Every person here has been challenged by the Spirit of God, and it's up to us whether we accept that challenge or, or whether we bow down or allow others to influence us because of an uncertain future. I know it sometimes it seems hard, and sometimes we're busy, and sometimes it costs too much, and sometimes we simply just say, I can't do it. But yes, you can. Yes, you can. If you want to. Remember Brother Alan Oz, he used to preach a sermon, he was, wrote a book about it, it was, it was incredible. You got to have a want to. Anybody ever heard that sermon? If you haven't heard that, you ought to find it, I guess I'm sure it's on YouTube or somewhere. Read his book. All the odds were stacked against Brother, uh, Brother Oz, but he he did it anyway because he wanted to, and we can serve God, we can commit to God, we can do the will of God, we can see grace explode, not only in revival, which is reviving us, but also in growth, which is reaching out to other people. We can do it. We can do it. We will see it. God has ordained it. God has given us the challenge. He said, grace, here's a challenge. Here you are. You've been tested. We've gone through that. We have faced that. We've succeeded that. The testing isn't what's ahead of us. It's the challenge of it. And now it's time for us to engage the Spirit of God and to commit to God more than we've ever committed and say that, God, we're going to pray more, we're going to fast more, we're going to give more, and we're going to be more faithful, more dependable, and we're going to reach more. And when the guy on the job is down, we're going to speak. Somebody came up to me before church tonight, and we were talking about some stuff, and he simply they said, you have to speak. You have to say something. Nothing's going to happen. If you don't say anything, we have to commit to do this. So go ahead and commit. Enter a, an intimate time. We've just started Daniel's fast. It's a perfect opportunity for those that are still a little skeptical and a little afraid. Enter a very intimate time with God. It's already a time of fasting. Commit to some prayer. Say, God, maybe I've been afraid. Maybe I haven't been what you wanted me to be. Maybe I haven't done everything you've wanted me to do. 
It's not about your relationship with God. I'm not saying you're lost and going to hell and going to split the pit and all that kind of stuff. But there's people sitting here tonight, please listen. If you haven't listened to anything else, please listen to this. There's people sitting here tonight that you're far less than what God wants you to be. And you're far less than the potential God gave you. And the reason why you're less, and the reason why we don't take that step is you're simply afraid. Like the Hebrew boys looked up and they saw what they thought was their doom. They were, we look at failure and, and what happens if, <coughs> excuse me, what happens if it doesn't work? What happens if I don't succeed? What happens if I try to teach somebody a Bible study and I don't win them? What happens if I witness to somebody and they never come to church? I've had at least five people at my job that I currently work with promise me they're going to come to church. Do you know how many have shown up? And I invite people every day, not trying to pat myself on the back, but folks, we've got to engage the work of God. We've got to step, let, stop letting fear dominate us and what we think can be our doom, what we think can be our destruction, what we think can cause us to fail and bring us down is the very thing that may deliver us. It may be the very thing that God uses to show us who he really is. It may be the very thing that God uses to show other people him in us. It may be the very thing that causes somebody to say, you know what, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The very thing that you think can be your destruction, God can use it if we'll simply commit to him, give to him who we are, and then we can reach our community. We all have, if you'll stand with me, I'll quit. Some of you will be so happy to stand in all your life. But we all live in a world. We all live in the great big earth. We all live in the uh, United States. Most of us live in Louisiana. I guess all of us do here tonight. All of us live in the Baton Rouge metro area. But we also have our own world. It's the world at your job. It's the world at your house, your family, all of these people. some of them we need to reach and we can do it if we'll commit to God give God everything that we are give God everything that we are our passion our drive I know some of you are so passionate about football I know there were some of you were right at tears when LSU was losing do you know the next Tuesday morning, yesterday morning, I went to work, and I asked a guy at work who won. And when he told me that Alabama won, I said, good. Whatever. There was a lady at work got mad. She overheard me. She got mad at me. She's passionate about football, passionate about LSU. And I know some of you are passionate I hate to even ask how many of you watched the game and was just, oh, man, you, ah, and frustrated. I heard today that all the 
LSU Tigers are stuck in New Orleans. They can't get from New Orleans to Baton Rouge. Somebody went and painted a 50-yard line across the interstate, and they can't get past it. For those that watched, watched the game, maybe that means something to you. I got somebody else getting mad up here. We get passionate about these things, and I'm not against it, whatever. But can we take some of that passion, can we take some of that drive and some of that motivation and, and steer it and gear it towards God and the work of God and the things of God, and let's see people's lives impacted. Can we see people's lives changed? Can we see alcoholics recovered and, and drug addicts recovered and, and, and broken homes put back together and broken lives mended? We've seen God do so many of that and so many people that is sitting here tonight. We've seen God do it for you, but there's other people around us that the same things are happening. And if we can get past ourselves and our fear and gear some of that passion towards other people, at least invite them to the house of God. So tonight, when you look to your future, when you look to what God is asking you to become or what God is wanting you to be, and you say, I just don't know. I kind of like my job as a bench warmer. I like to sit here in church and not really get engaged too much. If it's because you're afraid of that billowing smoke ahead, that smoke is not the fire of destruction. That's the fire of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And when you get there, it's where you're delivered.